0: sermon this afternoon is going to begin in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to notice the first three verses. And it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. We're going to notice the whole of the chapter, but we're going to start off with those three verses. Throughout the Bible, there are several examples of God saying no. We see it from the very beginning throughout the Bible as a whole. And as a reader, it is sad to stand on the mountain of Nebo on the top of Pisgah with Moses as the great lawgiver pleads with God to allow him entrance into the land of promise. Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 27. Not only did God say no to Moses, He told him, don't ever mention it to me again. We travel into the future from the top of Pisgah into the time of the new church. We learn about the history of the first Christians. We see the growing pains associated with a new membership, a different religion, and different expectations. We learn about great sacrifices of the Apostle Paul as he worked throughout Asia Minor and spreading the gospel and establishing congregations of new Christians. And one thing we also remember about this great man, the Apostle, is he had a request of the Lord Jesus. He asked him something. He told those in Corinth, he said, that he had a thorn in the flesh 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he called it a messenger of Satan. And he also told his readers that he pleaded with the Lord three times to remove that from him. Now, when we consider Moses, we say, well, he directly disobeyed God, and as a result of that, he wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land, and that was his punishment. But what about Paul? Why was it that that Jesus would not remove this thorn in the flesh from such a great man? And, of course, Paul said the purpose of the affliction was to buffet him and, and prevent him from being exalted above measure. And perhaps, perhaps Paul had a tendency toward pride. I don't know. Maybe that kept him where he needed to be. But I don't believe the only reason for the recording of of those events is to simply provide for the reader the punishment that Moses had coming, I guess, or simply as an answer for why Paul didn't have his thorn in the flesh, whatever that may have been uh, removed. I believe one reason those details have been provided for us is to demonstrate the reaction and the action of those who were told no. No is a small word, but it's a big answer to a question. The title of the sermon this afternoon is The Right Answer Might Be No. But that's not what usually we want to hear. We don't like the word no most of the time, but but notice that Moses didn't rail against God, did he? He didn't rail against God about some kind of an unfair treatment and Paul didn't stop being the world's greatest missionary because he heard the word no. Now that's very uncommon in our world today, right? People today, especially when we, when we look out to the younger generation, and I'm not trying to be ugly toward the younger generation, but we've raised a bunch of people in the younger generation. I'm not particularly talking about some of our, our uh, younger generation, but we look out across the world and we watch the news and we see what's going on in the world. Do they like hearing the word No. They're burning cities down all around us, aren't they? Because they don't like the word no. We have reared a bunch of sorry, lazy, godless people in the world around us because they don't want to hear the word no. And it's everybody else's fault but their own. Moses didn't rail against God. He didn't blame God. Paul didn't blame Jesus. He didn't stop doing what he knew he needed to do. I believe there's some very needed lessons within these two accounts. And there's another account where we find some some very interesting reactions and actions by a child of God after having been told no. Now our passage describes for us what is possibly the greatest years in the life of King David, God has provided for him rest from his enemies around him. He's not having to be on the battlefield. He's not fighting. and He's not running for his life. He's not doing all those things that that he's already had to do. He's resting. He has all things provided for him. He's just kind of being able to look out over all the things God has given to him. He's rest from his difficulties. And those must have been some of the greatest times in his life. And he's being able to reflect on those things God's given to him and, and the wonderful things that he's able to enjoy at that time. And as he considered these blessings, a dream was born. And David wanted to give back to God as a show of appreciation for all these many things that God had provided for him. Isn't that a wonderful sentiment? And he wanted to give God's presence a permanent dwelling place. I think that's a very honorable idea on the part of David. And since the time the tabernacle was constructed by Moses, God's presence had dwelt in the Holy of Holies. He had dwelled in a tent that was movable. They took it down. They carried it wherever they were going to set it up. And when you read in the rest of the chapter, David said he dwelled in curtains. Well, that's what separated the holiest of holies from the rest of the place. It was a curtain. And David, in his appreciation for what God had done, had wanted to provide for him what he considered a proper dwelling place. Because of the Almighty of Heaven, He deserved something that was great and grand in the eyes of David. But there was an issue that David really never considered. First, God doesn't need humanity to provide anything for Him, does He? No, He doesn't need anything from us. And in His address to the Areopagus, the Greek council... Paul told those men, Acts 17, verse 24, he said, God who made the world and everything in it. That's a big statement. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with the hands of men. Can we make a temple large enough for God? He made the earth. He fills up the whole earth, doesn't he? He went on to say this in verse 25, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needs anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Now, I think we can appreciate what David thought. God doesn't need anything from us. That was the first thing that David did not properly consider. Now, here's another reason for God not allowing David to build the temple And we learn this in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 8. In essence, what God told David, and David relayed this to his son Solomon as he was preparing for death. In essence, what David said was, God told him he'd shed a lot of blood in his sight. David was a man of war. And when we look through the history of Solomon, Solomon didn't fight wars. Solomon was a man of peace, wasn't he? God gave Solomon rest from his enemies. He didn't have to fight wars. God saw to it. That's why Solomon was able to build the temple. David shed a lot of blood. He was a man of war. He'd killed a lot of folks. And he started as a youth, didn't he? We can go all the way back to when he took care of Goliath as a young boy. And he wasn't afraid. He was very courageous And he had stepped to the front of the line and he would take care of business when it came to fighting for God. But those are not the primary lessons on which we want to focus this afternoon. We want to study the reaction and the action of David when God said no. And let's start with David's desire. That's our first point. David's desire was good. We need to understand that when we begin to look at what David wanted to do for God. It was good. He sat in his palace. He recognized how... God had blessed him financially, he had blessed him personally, and he had blessed him spiritually. He had given him all the money for which he could have hoped. He had given him a family, and he had given him all things that he needed through his grace. He had all the things that he needed in this life and in the next one. And so he wanted to show his appreciation, and he wanted to give God something. That's good. All people ought to have that ...sentiment toward God. So it was a good desire. But we have to understand, even though God told David no, God still appreciated the intent behind David's desire. He recognized what David wanted to do. Solomon remembered this, 2 Chronicles 6, beginning with verse 7. Now it was in the heart of David my father to build a house... For the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, For as much as it was in thine heart to build a house for my name, thou didst dwell in that it was in thine heart. Notwithstanding, thou shalt not build the house, but thy son, which shall come forth out of thy loins, he shall build the house for my name. You see, David viewed things in the way that most people view them. He saw them within the realm of the physical. Right? That's just how people look at things. That's how we understand things in the physical. But God has trained us and wants to train us to see things in the spiritual. We talked about that in Bible class this morning. That was one of the greatest challenges that Jesus faced as he trained and taught and lived among people. He told Nicodemus, You have to be born again. Well, what did Nicodemus say? Well, how can a man enter into his mother's womb when he's old? Well, he said at the well with the woman, and he said, there's a spring that's going to come up and it will give you water, eternal water that you will never thirst again. She said, give me that water. That way I don't have to come back to this well and ever draw again. Then you're missing the point, right? Let's think on a spiritual plane. That's what the whole idea is. See, it wasn't wrong for David to have these desires. But they were just misguided and so he needed to be trained a little better. You see, he had good desires and they were godly. They were godly because they put God first. He just needed to understand a few things. He wanted to glorify the God of heaven. He didn't have an ulterior motive. It was all about God. He wanted God to be exalted above all other names. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. And he wanted God to receive the glory that was due to him. At no time did David ever ask God for anything other than to do something for him in this context. He didn't say, I want to build you a temple and I want this in return. He simply wanted to do something for God simply because it was God and he wanted to show his appreciation. Now think about that. He's looking at this tabernacle out here. It had been in existence for... I didn't do the math. I should have. Hundreds of years. Now God had preserved the tabernacle, right? He made sure it it was kept up. Just like when those Israelites had walked through the wilderness for 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. But it was an old tabernacle... He's looking at that. He's looking at what God had provided him as for a house. He lives in a house of cedar. And then you got this tent. It hurt him. He wanted God to have something that was glorious. That's a godly desire, right? That's a wonderful lesson. We ought to have the same desire to give God what He deserves. God deserves that, doesn't He? But we have to offer the correct things, right? That's a lesson. David had in mind the physical because that's what he understood. We have to change the way we look at things. God provides for us the things we cannot provide for ourselves. Okay? He's not asking us to give him things that he doesn't want. Did God asked David for a, for a temple. He didn't ask David for that. That's not what he wanted from David. God provides us the things that we cannot provide for ourselves. He gives us general providence. We have the seasons. We have the the rain. We're able to grow crops. He gives us the opportunity to work, but does He do the work for us? No, He doesn't do the work for us. We look through the, uh, we're studying the miracles on Sunday morning. We're going to get to the part where, where Lazarus comes forth out of the grave. Who rolled the rock away? Jesus didn't roll the rock away. Why not? Because someone there could do that. Could they raise Lazarus from the grave? Not at all. But they could move the rock. They could do that. Right? And so God does for us what we can't do. And so in return, we give God what He asks for us to give Him. Right? And the same is true in the spiritual realm. It's not possible for us to save ourselves. God will save us. When we come to worship... We have to give God what He asked for. You know, there are people throughout the world trying to worship God. And they are worshiping Him. But there are two kinds of worship. There's true worship and there's vain worship. It's all worship. But just because someone calls it worship, doesn't mean it's true worship. Right? We have to worship God in spirit and in truth. And that happens every single day throughout the world. God's not asking for that. We worship him in spirit and in truth, right? We have to understand that. We often sing a song that says, uh, talks about Christ paying a debt for us we could not pay. He'll do for us what we can't do, and in return, we give God what he asked for. But we have to give him what he asked for. It isn't enough to have the right action toward God, it's just as important to have the right reaction. When he says no. That's important. That's important. We've seen it the other way, haven't we? As we look throughout the history. David's desire was met with denial. That's our second point. What could David have done? Initially though, what did Nathan say? Go do what your hearts desire. Go build the temple. When we read the, the, the balance of this chapter 7 of Second Samuel... What we learn is neither David nor Nathan consulted with God. That is a prime example of what goes on in the religious realm today. You have people doing all sorts of things and no one is consulting with God. We have to ask God. And how do we ask God today? We have to go to the Bible. We have to go to the Word. God's told us everything we need to know. Peter said that. He has provided us with all things That pertain unto life and godliness. Right? We have to go look at it. He's given that to us. That's another lesson we have to take to heart. Just because we believe something is correct. Nathan thought it was correct. He was a prophet. A faithful prophet. David thought it was correct. He was a man after God's own heart. They made a mistake. Both of them. God had to correct Nathan. Nathan. Nathan, in turn, had to go talk to David. What was the reaction? Well, God wasn't harsh with David. We have to understand that. Why wasn't he? He understood David's heart, but that doesn't mean he didn't correct David. David wasn't trying to be malicious, right? He had a good and godly desire, but he, God denied his desire. Instead of David giving God something... What happened? God continued to provide for David, didn't he? He continued to give him some things. Notice what he told him. He reminded him of the grace that he had received by removing him from leading sheep. He took him as a young boy. And now remember, let's go back in history. Who thought David was anything special? No one around thought David was special. You remember when Samuel went to uh, David's father's home? He looked at all these sons, and he says, Is this this all you got? He said, Well, you know, I've got this one boy out here in the the field. Well, bring him in here. He's just a boy. Bring him in here. And God said, This is the one. God doesn't look on the outward appearance. See, there you go again, right? People look on the physical. God looks at the inward man. This is the one. He anointed him. God took him out of the sheepfold. He said, you are going to lead a nation. He took a boy that no one said was special. He made him very special. It wasn't long after that that he killed the giant Goliath. It wasn't long after that that he married the king's daughter. It wasn't long after that that they were singing a song. Saul's killed his hundreds. David's killed his tens of thousands. Then it was on after that, wasn't it? David began to have some trouble. But God turned him into someone who was very special. God continues to do that today. He can take someone who doesn't appear to be very special at all and turn him into someone or her into someone who is very special. Very special. You can read about people throughout the world and you first look at them, you might look at a picture of them and they don't stick out to you at all. And then you read a little bit about them and they might have converted hundreds of people to the, to the church. And you say, that person? That person did that? God can do it. God can do it. Those who do that are the kind of people God uses because He turned them into that. Now that doesn't mean that these other folks are not sincere in their beliefs. But it also doesn't mean they're doing what God wants them to do. It's just like David and Nathan, right? They had to be corrected. Instead of trying to offer God something He doesn't want, we need to remember the great provisions that God supplies to us. And that's a lesson that we see here. God can take a person, no matter their station in life, turn them into something amazing, right? We see that. God's provided for us physically and spiritually. And like what David received, the Christians' provisions are based on the promises that God has made. David wanted to build a house for God. God said, you're not going to do it, but I'm going to build your house forever. Now that came in two forms. Solomon came along. Okay, He took over after David, Solomon's son. Rib on. he reigned over Judah, became the, the, the divided kingdom. But David's house ruled over the sovereign state of Judah for the whole existence of Israel, right? Until that became no more. So that was one way it happened. But the most important way it happened was the promise that started with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 11 through Abraham, through David, through Judah... One of, David heir, one of David's heirs would come through his lineage and God's house would be established eternally. Daniel chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and it still exists today. And of course, that person was Jesus. God has often said no to those who desire to do certain things. And perhaps this is the most important aspect of our study this morning. How should one respond? When God says no. David responded to denial with devotion. And it started with humility. David didn't become angry with God. He didn't become angry with God. He responded in humility. That has not always been the case. It hasn't always been the case, has it? Maybe even more than not, God's creation has reacted with anger and arrogance toward God when He says no. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 4. Cain offered a sacrifice, the fruit of the ground. Abel offered the finest of his flock, a blood sacrifice to God. Uh, Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's was rejected. God said no to Cain. How did Cain respond? In anger. God said, what right do you have to be angry? If you do it correctly, it will be accepted. If you do it incorrectly, sin waits at the door. How did Cain respond? Even after God having given him an opportunity to repent, he still acted in anger and he murdered his brother. We go over to 1 Samuel 15. Saul reacted in arrogance when Samuel rebuked him for offering a sacrifice he should not have offered. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. He wasn't from the priestly tribe of Levi. Yet... He said, well, Samuel's not here. Through his arrogance, he said, I'm going to offer a sacrifice. And he did. He shouldn't have. And then when Samuel rebuked him, he didn't handle it correctly. And he ended up losing the kingdom. God has answered no on many occasions to his people. David acknowledged that he was unworthy to build the temple. He he wasn't going to be blessed with that honor. He recognized that. That honor was going to go to his son. But he did not stop honoring or worshiping God because God said no. His devotion continued in humility and it continued to be holy, meaning he continued to behave the way God expected. God may say no in a variety of ways. We may pray for certain things in this life and we may not get them. God knows what is best. And we need to trust God. We need to trust God. Isaiah said "He's the, uh, we're the clay. Right? Let God fashion us the way that He needs to fashion us. Right? We need to trust Him enough to do that. In, the essence of David's prayer in 2 Samuel 7, 27-29, was for God's will to be done. And that's one reason why he was a man after God's own heart. Let the potter shape us the way that we need to be shaped. We may not understand why the answer is no, but it is no. And sometimes that's the right answer. Even if it's uh, something that we hold very near and dear to our hearts. It may be losing a loved one to death, right? Right? We may pray and pray and pray and pray and and expect that person to overcome and the answer is no. Why? Because it's best. We have to trust God. We have to trust God. That's just the way it is. A person dies a Christian, guess what? Let's not try to ruin it for them, right? They don't want to come back. Let them be in paradise. Let's not... Let's don't try to steal that from them, right? Let them go on and enjoy their reward. I was talking uh, talking to Kathy today and I said something about my dad. I said, you wait till I see him again. He's done this or that. I said, you wait till I see him again. He's in trouble, right? God is the potter, we're the clay. David was not allowed to build the temple, but he didn't become angry with the Almighty. He continued to demonstrate devotion. In fact, David made all the preparation for Solomon to build the temple. He didn't take himself out of the work. He did all that he was allowed to do. He gathered up the materials. All Solomon had to do was carry on from there. He didn't have to worry about gathering materials. He had to put the people to work. And he built a temple that was amazing. Amazing. No one had ever seen anything like it or sins. Solomon built the temple and David's kingdom lasted throughout the history of Israel as an independent nation. Jesus built the house of God, the one that his people are a part of today, which is eternal. What a blessing. The most important thing isn't always the desires that we may have. Because God may meet those desires with denial. God may say no. But the reaction is always important. And God always expects devotion. If you have a need to answer the Lord's invitation, whether it's through initial obedience to His gospel plan of salvation, of repentance, faith, faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living, or whether You've stepped outside the light. You need to come back through repentance of sin, confession of that sin, and prayer publicly if necessary, privately if not. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.